Join me now, if you would, in the Gospel according to Numbers. Numbers chapter 4. Numbers chapter 4, and we have spent a couple of months on verse 16, but we're going to leave that place right now, that camping site, and to me it's like saying goodbye to an old friend. But we shall return sometime. But I'd like to read a few other verses found here in chapter 4 of the book of Numbers, the gospel according to Numbers, verses 17 through 21. Numbers chapter 4, verse 17. Now it appears that the theme is changing here, but it is not. Eliezer declared the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the manner that God showed him. He declared it by what he carried and by the authority he was given over all of the tabernacle and everything there, and it speaks so highly of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as we move on in here, we find that the Lord spake in verse 17, and the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, now there's going to be a number of times that we're going to find that phraseology here in the book of Numbers, as well as through many other places in the scripture, and it is very important that we take mind of what is said here, how important it is this verse to, to us, Jehovah spake. Now, that word L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is the way the translators gave us the understanding, this name is Jehovah. This is that sacred name among the Jews, but only God's people who have ears to hear really know what that word means, what that name means. Now he spoke, Jehovah has never spoken in the Old Testament and then changed when he came to the New Testament. We don't find a different message in the Old Testament than we do in the New Testament when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to how God saves his people from their sins. He used types and shadows and pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the Old Testament, but the message was never changed. He never said, if you keep the law, you'll be saved. He understood very clearly when he gave that law to the Jews, they could not keep the law, and he was demonstrating to his most favored nation that they, doing the best they could, could not and would not keep the law. They needed to be saved by grace, just like everyone else. And as Mike and I were talking this morning, the Jews always go back to Abraham. You know what? Paul went back to Abraham so often in the scriptures. He went back to say, this is how God saves his people. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham was brought out of Ur of the Chaldees. It wasn't his choice to do that. It was God's choice. The God of glory appeared unto him and said, move out. And we find that he was given an irresistible strain on him to come out of there. Now he could say it was his choice to do that after the suggestion was brought to his mind, but still it was God's employment of his power in this man to bring him out, and it was God's employment in his, this man to do what he intended to do to demonstrate to us that the Old Testament saints are saved just like you and I are saved today. <clears throat> he did not change with regard to time, and he doesn't change his message ever. It is always the same. Salvation has always been by grace. It has never been by works. And Jehovah never saved anybody 
in the Old Testament or the New Testament by keeping the law. In fact, Jesus Christ contended with lawgivers all the time, and then he gave a special message, it seems, to the Apostle Paul when he wrote those letters to contend with lawgivers again, and he brought up the subject so clearly in the book of Galatians. He said many people say this is the, is the gospel, but it is not the gospel. It's not even another gospel. It is something that should be shut down immediately, and that is any law mixed with the grace of the Lord Jesus. His speech is always for his glory and for the glory of the church. Would you turn with me to a couple of passages over in the book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah chapter 5. Would you turn with, with me to Jeremiah chapter 5 as we think about the Lord speaking here to Moses and to Aaron? It is a, a message that is continuously brought out. Who is doing the conversation? Who is doing the instruction? Who is doing the word? Who's bringing this word? And it is the word of God that is so important. And here we have it in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, or excuse me, the book of Numbers chapter 4 there. The Lord spoke, Jehovah spoke, and he had a message to share with these people that is of great significance. It means the matter of life and to death to some people. Here in the book of Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 14, we have these words that... God shared with Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 14. God's word says, Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth. Isn't that interesting? When Jeremiah was speaking, he was speaking as God instructed him. He says here, I will make my words in thy mouth. Fire and this people would, and it shall devour them. What a symbol here that God used to the prophet Jeremiah about his word. I'll put it in your mouth, and it will have the same authority as if I spoke it myself. And we find that that is what the gospel is. We are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we preach none other but him and, cru and him crucified. And the power that it has there is the authority of God. I'll put my word in your mouth. You will speak for me. You will be an ambassador for me. And my word will be a fire and it will consume. Well, he brings the subject up again in Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23 and there in verse 29, he brings up this subject again and he compares what his word is like. The word that he brought to Moses and to Aaron with regard to the Kohathites that we're going to read here in just moments. In the book of Jeremiah chapter 23, and there in verse 29, the scripture says, Is not my word like a fire? He's already presented that there in Jeremiah chapter 5. It is a fire. It consumes. It, it melts or it hardens. And we find that particularly in preaching the gospel in the New Testament, but it's also quite evident throughout the Old Testament that the word of God brought and presented by his preachers, by his prophets, to some it melted them, and they were brought before God, humbled, and God gave them repentance. And to some, the word of God as a fire hardened them, and they become worse off than they started. Well, it says here, Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? This hammer of God, how he very carefully aimed that hammer at the hard-heartedness of, 
of uh, Saul of Tarsus, how he aimed it at the hard heart of Abraham, how he aimed it at the hard heart of Abel, how he aimed it at the hard heart of Samuel, how he aimed it at the hard heart of anybody that's without Christ. He brings his word and very carefully aims that hammer and begins to rock, to break the rock in peace, that old stony heart to get rid of it. And then by God's grace, he gives us a heart of flesh. That thing is removed. His word continuously works on. And you know, people may come here and hear one message or two messages and leave, but that isn't the end of the story. We never know how the outcome will be. We never know what God will do with his word after they have it and heard it. We just don't know. So we, God is successful in every venture, every aspect. He is very successful, and his word is like a hammer. His word is like a fire. And then if you'll turn over with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, that familiar passage of scripture about the word of God. For the word of God is quick, it's lively, it's living word. We think it's just on a page, and many people just look at it at that. But it is a word that the Holy Spirit uses, and the Holy Spirit uses effectually, and the Holy Spirit uses eventually. He will do as he pleases. Here in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, there in verse 12, that wonderful passage of Scripture about the Word of God. And by no means are we should be reading chapters and not just verses. But here it is. Hebrews chapter 4, there in verse 12, he said, For my word, for the word of God is quick and powerful. Now we could just stop there and spend a lot of time on seeing the power of God through the Old Testament. It was by the word of his power he created the heavens and the earth, and it was by the word of his power he created a man. It was by the word of his power he did all of those great things throughout the Old Testament. It, my, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, some swords are just, you can just cut paper with them. Well, the word of God is sharper than that. It goes to pierce. It goes beyond the skin level. It goes down to the heart. It gets down to the issue. It gets down to the problem. Here it says, as two-edged, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. I can't go there because I don't understand it, but I know that God can deal with it. He can go where we cannot go. He can take this word to the lodgment of the heart. He can go where no man is able to reach. And it says here, to the joints and marrow, to, to, uh, to the very being of the person. I'm not talking about this as a physical uh, exercise. It's a spiritual exercise that God is doing with his word upon his people. And that word goes out to people that are never saved, and it causes them to be hardened, to raise their fist against God. Well, it says, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. My goodness, we can read in the scripture and find out what man really thinks about God. He, has no, he doesn't pay any attention to God. He has no peace with God. He has all of those thoughts that God brings out with regard to man's statement before God. The word has already established it. David said, in my haste, I said, all men are liars. What a truth that is. And that there's none that seeketh after God. No, not one. What a truth that is. You know, when God brings us to salvation, we agree with every one of those statements. We agree with what he has to say about us. There's no fighting over it. There's no, no uh, uh, grumbling about it. Yes, Lord, you know me. 
much better than I know me, and I agree with your words on this. Now, going back there to the book of Numbers, the Lord in this instance, Numbers chapter 4, and there verse 18, he has something to say. He brings up the subject, the Lord spoke unto Moses and to Aaron. Now, it is so interesting that the Lord so often speaks to us through a mediator. He speaks to us through an ambassador. He speaks to us here. He spoke through Moses and Aaron. God brings somebody that knows something along with the word. I I just don't know how much by simply reading the word anybody gets out of it. I've had a discussion with that with a young man. He thinks that by just having the word on, a, on an island that you could eventually be saved. I'm just not sure about that because the Bible tells us that it's by the preaching of the gospel. It's by the speaking of it. And in fact, that is clearly brought out there with regard to the Ethiopian eunuch. He was reading the Bible. He was reading the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. He was reading the scriptures. And Isaiah was a prophet of God. And he had the word of God in his lips. And he was used to write it down. And centuries later it was presented to this Ethiopian eunuch. But God was pleased to send him somebody who knew this gospel. Who the answer was when the Ethiopian eunuch brought it up. Who is this man speaking of? Of himself or some other? And we find that Philip began at the same place and preached unto him Jesus. There there just needs to be this. And God is so pleased to let us hear somebody who has the word of God in his mouth. Well, here in the book of Numbers, chapter 4, verse 18 through 20, we have this message that was given to Moses and to Aaron. And to these people that he's writing about, it was so valuable and so important Read with me here in the book of Numbers chapter 4 verse 18. Numbers chapter 4 verse 18. Cut ye not off the tribe of the families of the Kohathites from among the Levites. Well, what in the world is he talking about? Next verse, two two verses help us understand that. But thus do unto them that they may live and not die. We have a situation here that means life or death. Be faithful to instruct the Kohathites about this very important thing. God has spoken in the past and often spoken in the past and has spoken throughout the New Testament that you don't follow my guidelines. You don't follow my word. You have no life in you. If you do not succumb to the word of God, here we have that it goes on and says in verse 19 that they die not when they approach unto the most holy things. Now, what were these guys going to do? They are the guys that are going to be carrying the most holy things in the holy place and the holy of holies. They're going to be carrying the mercy seat. They're going to be carrying the brazen or the uh, uh, altar of incense. They're going to be carrying that seven-posted lampstand. They're going to be carrying the table of showbread. They're going to be carrying the most valuable, most holy things in there. But God gives them, through an ambassador, through an emissary, through someone who knew something and believed God, to share with them that you go in and out of your curiosity, you go in and look at these things 
with your naked eyes, I will kill you. Now warn them about it. Warn them. It says here, Aaron and his son shall go in and appoint them, every one to his service and to his burden. But they shall not go in to see when the holy things are covered, lest they die. They're not given permission to go in and see if everything's covered up like it's supposed to be. Suppose one of those things was not covered up, they die. Now, there are a number of places in Scripture when the Lord put an end to self-importance. Now, if these guys, these Kohathites, if they went in out of curiosity, you know what that means? They're pretty self-important. They've established themselves as important enough to go in and see things that they're not supposed to look at. And God says that there are, there's a number of cases in the Scriptures where God put an end to self-importance. And one of them that is so important is also found here in the book of Numbers. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Numbers chapter 16. In Numbers chapter 16, we have some relatives of Aaron and relatives of Moses coming up with this. Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. I just want to read the first four verses here to kind of set the tone for this because God is going to deal with this just like he promised to deal with the Kohathites. These folks whose business it would be to go in and carry these most holy items, to carry them across the desert until they came to the next place. But every one of those items were covered very carefully by, Mo, by Aaron and his sons. That was their job. It was not the job of these folks to go in and look at these things with their own eyes. They needed an ambassador. They needed a mediator. Now here it says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, hmm, he is a Kohathite. It's been his, given his responsibility to carry these items. The son of Levi, Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown, very important people. Now, here they promoted themselves above their station. They've made themselves more important than they really are. They've established this. And it goes on, and they gathered to themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Now, as we look at what God shared with Moses and Aaron to share with the Kohathites, keep your eyes off of this. What a blessing it was for the Kohathites. We have been warned. Folks, don't go in there. Our life is at stake. If we go in there and look and they're uncovered, we will die. That is the promise of God. And how blessed it is that God would send a warning ahead of time. That he would warn us ahead of time of what the consequences will be 
to go and see things that don't belong to us or try to be so important that it doesn't matter. And that's where many false gospels come from. I know what God has to say, but this is more important. Well, it goes on to say, all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Now we have to say, who put Moses and who put Aaron in their position? It wasn't Moses and it wasn't Aaron. Moses would have done anything he could have possibly done not to be put in that position. Just take him over there into the wilderness where he's watching his father-in-law sheep. I can't talk, I can't go, I can't do. And the Lord said, I will be with you and you'll do it. Well, it goes on here, and Moses heard it and fell upon his face. Now Moses is just broken hearted that his relatives are coming up and saying, you are just doing too much. Now let's follow this through. I'm not going to read this whole chapter, but jump with me to the verse 23 of this. God warned Moses and Aaron to share the message with the Kohathites. Don't go looking where you shouldn't be. Pay attention to God's word. I'm warning you ahead of time. Fair warning. And then here's a Kohathite and some compatriots that rise up and say, we want to do what you're doing. We want to look at the holy things. Well, here in the book of Numbers chapter uh, 16 verse 23, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speak unto the congregation saying, get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. The Lord Jehovah, one more time, is speaking unto Moses and saying, tell the folks to get away from those guys. Separate yourself. And Moses rose up and went to Dothan and Abram and said to the elders of Israel, follow him. And he spake unto them, to, uh, unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dothan, and Abram, and every side, out on every side, and Dothan and Abram, came out and stood in the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. And Moses said, Hereby shall you know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have done, not done them of my own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her, her mouth and swallow them up, with all that appertaineth unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. Well, we know what happened. The Lord opened up the earth and swallowed them down into the pit. Now Moses, it broke his heart when these came, thinking they were somebody. Moses understood what it was to be a somebody. He tried that when he was young and there uh, trying to rule over Israel when he was not given that responsibility. But here, knowing full well that God was a God of his word, then he would fulfill his word upon these folks. And here, Kohath went down to the pit. Well, in the book of Leviticus, there are two important young priests. They're the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. In Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, we have them mentioned by name, and we haven't mentioned what they 
what they did. They got too important. They established themselves as being more important than God. And that's so often the natural way. I can make a decision to do what I want to do. I don't have to listen to God. Well, here in the book of Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire thereon and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. There are a number of times in the scripture where this just happened right in front of their eyes. You know what we find with these guys? They didn't have a mediator. They didn't have a representative. They didn't have someone stand up for them and speak for them. Well, one other place, or two others I want to look at. One's in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, Israel did a great crime when they said, you know, the Philistines are really about to beat us, so we'll take our rabbit's foot into battle with us. We'll take the tabernacle with us into battle. Well, as things would happen, the Lord permitted the Philistines to get that tabernacle, or that mercy seat. And they did all the honor they could do it. They put it in the God, in the temple of their God, Dagon. Well, several things happened, like this this great stone image fell over and broke its head and hands off. Lord was just demonstrating, and they finally decided we need to get rid of it. And they sent it back. Well, here in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 19, 20, and 21, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 19, the scripture says here, and he dealt among the people, even among the multitude Oh my. This is not the one I want, and I apologize. The people, the men of uh, Beth Shemesh, came and opened up the ark. And there were many of them whose lives were taken. Is that in the next chapter? Let me look here. I apologize. I'll have to find that. But there is one more. Oh, it's 1 Samuel, excuse me, I believe it's 1 Samuel. Let me look there. No, that's not going to be it. Oh, God. The Lord often dealt with people in the scriptures who had made themselves too important before God. Just as he was sharing with Moses and Aaron with regard to the Kohathites and their responsibility, share with them the responsibility that I have for them. The uh, in Second in, uh, Samuel chapter six again, verses six and seven. Second Samuel chapter six, verse six and seven. We have uh, another incident of this. His name was Uzzah. Now Uzzah is also a priest. And they brought back that Ark of the Covenant. And when they come to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, 
And God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Now, there was a responsibility that this man had with regard to moving the ark. We find later that David had to go back and research himself about what had happened. Well, the Lord came to be both mediator and substitute for his people. These folks he appointed no substitute to bear their errors. There was no mediator to warn, to protect them. No one stood up for them. Korah was by himself. Uzzah was by himself. Those at Beth Shemesh that looked into the ark, they were by themselves. No one took an interest. God had no interest. He let them stand on their own, on their own merits, and they all failed, and they fell. Well, we find a great blessing is brought to the church just as the warning went out to those Kohathites, don't go in and look at what's in there. Make sure that someone tells you it's okay to go. The warning went out, and God has sent his warning out. There, We heard read this morning there in the book of Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, there was a substitute. There is a mediator that has gone out, and it is the Lord Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 10, I'd like to just go over that again very quickly. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, the scriptures say here, knowing this, chapter 5, verse 6, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Now, at the moment that Christ died, he knew exactly who he was dying for, but we didn't. By nature, we think he died for everybody. By nature, we think that he has made an appropriation for everybody to make them savable. But he died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a blessing it was that the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, you warn these folks about going into the temple or into the tabernacle before everything is covered up. We'll give them a sign. We'll let them know. There was a warning went out. Justice would be served if they didn't follow it. Well, we find that the Lord spoke about this too. The warning has been stated. And that's found over in here in the book of Luke chapter 13. There's a couple incidences that people seem to think that these people died because they had done something grossly in error. Notice here in Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. In Luke chapter 13, verse 1, there is a great uh, comment made that there was a season that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Look, this is a historic event. That Pilate had a great deal of people. Lives were taken and their blood was mingled with the sacrifices of the Jews. This is a historic event. And it appears that these people came along and said, those guys must have really been bad guys or that wouldn't have happened to them. And he answered, Jesus answering and said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans? Is that what you're trying to insinuate? That these people are worse than you are? He said, 
because they suffered such things? Are you trying to insinuate that they died this horrendous death by the hands of Pilate and their blood was mingled with the sacrifices of the temple because they were great sinners above anybody? I tell you no. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. They are no greater, no worse than anyone else. But the call goes out, except you repent. And we're going to speak about that in just a moment. And then it goes on to tell us, or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell. Can you imagine again? These folks heard about this. Do you think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? Here it is, in the holy city, a tower falls, and you're blaming it because they're greater sinners than anybody else? Jesus' response to that, I tell you no, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. I don't have any record except with with Korah that any of those Kohathites that were warned ever went in and peered into that tabernacle and looked at those instruments that were in the holy and the holy place, and they died. The warning had been given to them. You know what God had shared with them in that warning? God's word is serious. It's valuable. It's important. You know, repentance means a change of one's mind to think differently. To think differently about holy things. To think differently about God. To change one's mind about God. That's what repentance is. If those people heard the warning and did not go in and says, we will go in only when invited, then they had a a mind that was given to them by God. To change one's mind about sin. You know, and the Lord spoke to those folks about the tower and those people that were killed, those Galileans, they had their own opinion about sin. And great sin will be punished and little sins will not be punished. But when we repent, when we're brought to repentance, we have a change of mind about sin, a change of one mind about the Bible. It's more than words on a page. It's living word. The Lord speaks and he speaks profoundly through his word to have a change of mind about salvation. Folks throughout the world, throughout all generations, have had their own opinion about how people are saved. When God saves his people, they have a change of mind about salvation. Salvation is truly of the Lord. They have a change of one's mind about heaven and hell. Good people have always been said, go to heaven, and bad people go to hell. Well, we find out in repentance that it's just the exact opposite. God saves his bad people to go to heaven. And good people, in their own eyes, will go to hell. And to change one's mind about Christ. Peter, as he grew up as a young man, had one idea about Christ, the Messiah. Christ gave him the true idea about Christ. Thou art the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord shared with him that he didn't get that by nature. He got that from God. If you turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Where do these folks get repentance? 
How do God's people get repentance? Where does it come from? Is it man-made? Do we work at it? I remember in religion I was told to repent of my sins. Well, that's not the meaning of repentance. Repentance means to have a change of mind. And how do we get that? How does anybody get a change of mind about God or his word or about sin or about salvation or about Christ? How can we have a mind change about that? Because we're born with a mindset about these things. They're not on God. They're far from him. Here in the book of Acts chapter 11 and verse 18, we have these words that share with us how people get repentance. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 18, now if those people that were warned by Moses and by Aaron said God is serious on this matter, I'll listen to him. I have a change of mind. I may have thought about going in, but now the warning has gone out. I may have thought about peeking in. I'm really curious. You know, people are, are curious by nature. And those Jews were no different. I wonder what it looks like. I wonder what the table of showbread looks like. I wonder what the lampstand looks like. I wonder what the altar of incense looks like. I wonder what the mercy seat looks like. I wonder what those cherubims look like. None of your business. <laughs> And only those who had been given a change of mind about it would say it's God's business. Only those. Korah didn't have it. Uzzah didn't have it. Nadab and Abihu didn't have it. Those folks were never given us. They were never given an ambassador. They were never given a a substitute. They were never given these instructions. It never meant a thing to them. And here in the book of Acts chapter 11 and verse 18, the scripture says, When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. It's a grant that God grants. Repentance is a true gift of God. It's a gift of regeneration. It's something God gives us to have a change of mind about God, to have a change, to be turned from worshiping dumb idols to serve the living God. And the Old Testament prophet said, turn me and I shall be turned, but I can't be turned until you turn me. It's a turning. How blessed it was that those Kohathites were warned. Let's go back over there to the book of Numbers for just a moment. Numbers chapter 4, and read with me those words that were given to these Kohathites. They have a great service to perform, and that was to move these articles, but a great warning went out, and that warning was the life unto life or death unto death. Here it is in the book of Numbers again, chapter 4, there in verse 18, the scriptures share this with, to us. It says, Cut ye not off the tribe of the family of the Kohathites from among the Levites. A warning goes out before there's anything else. But thus do unto them. It is important that you share this information. You know, to those Kohathites, it was life. It was life to hear these instructions. It was absolute life. This is, but thus do unto them that they may live and not die when they approach unto the most holy things. Aaron and his son shall go in. Now they'll take care of the covering. These folks, God has said, they're not to see these things. They're not to look upon these things. 
Aaron and his son shall go in and appoint them every one to his service and to his burden, but they shall not go in to see when the holy things are covered, lest they die. Oh my, there's some holy things that are kept from our eyes. To have a revelation of Jesus Christ, to have that revealed to us, and then to realize that that revelation came from God, and that repentance and faith come from God, and all of these sweet gifts of the Holy Spirit to us in regeneration came from God, and He's the one that kept us from going on. He's the one that hindered us. He's the one that caused these things to happen. He's the one that is in charge of all our salvation. He's the one that sent someone to warn us. Do you suppose those were greater sinners than you are? No. Unless God grants you repentance, you'll end up the same way they did. And thank God He grants repentance to everyone that He chose and everyone He died for. Somewhere in their life, He will bring this great change upon them and they will trust God and they will say, He is a God, the very God. He's, that's the gospel. A great God that saves great sinners by a great Savior. This is the gospel. So, as we notice here, as the warning goes out, the warning still goes out. The warning still given. Trust Christ. Don't move a muscle. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you do that, it's already a past tense. Thou shalt be saved. So the warning went out. Don't let them go in. Halt them. There are some things that we're just out of our reach. Salvation is out of our reach. The blessings of salvation are out of our natural reach, but they're given to us by a most holy God. Well, until next time when we pick this up, God bless you. Brother Mike, would you come?